Hi, Niklas. Welcome back. Hey, Adam. Thanks again for having me. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about the so-called cloud-native starter from mm -hmm. um, GitHub. And this is the official, or official, this is an IBM organization project. And uh, yes. cloud-native uh, starter is the sub-project. So IBM is the organization, cloud-native starter is the project from GitHub. Yeah. So the first right. feedback, what's, what's lacking is a nice page, you know? So you have just the GitHub project. What you need is like, you know, cloudnative.io or something like this, like welcome okay. page. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, and this idea. is very easy to achieve. I did it for my project, so you can you can mm -hmm. you can clone it. So you need to you know just a how it's called the uh, um, static uh, page. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, and this is called. Yeah, you're right. We should do that absolutely. Yep. But in uh, they are using. The static page generator from um, is a very famous one, and you just have to set up the templates, and then it just works out of the box. So there's almost nothing mm -hmm. to do. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, from, from other samples, we, we we do have a landing page on um, IBM Developer mm -hmm. uh, that highlights basically it's a series. We call it a series, and it points to this project and then to the blog entries. But yeah, the the URL is not that easy to remember, I guess. Yeah, and uh, the 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 other projects, so the the welcome pages, however you call them, they they look really nice. So the project mm, is yeah. uh, Apache, which is a, a a good thing because you can yeah. basically clone it and use it. And um, now the first question: on which environments you tested the whole thing? So the the application. Yeah, so so as you know, one of the big advantages of Kubernetes is the ability that you can basically run these cloud native apps everywhere. You know, every big cloud um, provider yeah. uh, offers Kubernetes on public on premises, and we uh, tested four different environments. We we started with Minikube because as a developer, I, I love being able to do as much as possible locally. Mm -hmm. um, then we we added the IBM Kubernetes service, but the same script should work pretty much the same for, for other clouds if you mm -hmm. change the, the, the links in, uh, to the different registries, to the images. Mm -hmm. The third um, was then we, we went on with um, Minishift, mm -hmm. um, which is only, quotation marks, 3.11, um, OpenShift 3.11 locally. Mm -hmm. So we're going to change that and also um, update to 4.2 um, mm -hmm. at some point. And we, the fourth environment is then OpenShift um, again in the IBM cloud, but 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 the scripts can also be used for for other OpenShift um, deployments. So yeah, so, again, so, didn't, so you didn't test it with code ready, so the four version yet, right? Well, we have it running locally, um, but we haven't really updated the scripts. So there's one or two minor tweaks um, mm -hmm. that, that we have to do in the not in the code, but in the scripts. Um, and and we we have run it uh, we we have it running locally, but mm -hmm. um, it's not part of the project yet. Yeah, and the project is basically two microservices written in uh, MicroProfile or uh, MicroProfile Node.js and Spring Boot. So you have different choices. But uh, I took took a look at the MicroProfile uh, variant of yeah. Labor, and there's articles and authors. So are two microservices, and uh, and they are they are deployed to Kubernetes, also first Docker and then Kubernetes. And because yeah. it's Kubernetes, I mean, to just to the listeners, so Kubernetes is, is the backbone of, I would say, all clouds. So if something works on Kubernetes, yeah. it usually works on all clouds. So And uh, OpenShift is a, like a more, I would say, convenient flavor of Kubernetes, mm -hmm. and um, the, all the other clouds are also using Kubernetes. So if it works on IBM Cloud, it should also work on GKE, yeah, Google, Google Kubernetes Engine, and the yeah. uh, Asia Kubernetes uh, 
service. Yeah, exactly. I, you know, I, my, one of my goals was to again make it as simple as possible to use, but then also to to allow as many people as possible to use it by providing a good license. One and two, by making clear what is available as open source, what runs everywhere versus what is proprietary. Mm -hmm. So when you go to the GitHub um, repo, there is an architecture diagram. Mm -hmm. It shows all the different services and the complete core um, of this application is available as open source, right? So there's no need to need no 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 need for developers to to use any other proprietary service or commercial service. But then there are some samples, for example, an SQL database, right? Obviously, you can use whatever you like because we use JPA, mm -hmm. but we use an SQL database in our IBM cloud, right? Similarly, for a no SQL database, you could you know switch to another database easily, or for authentication. Uh, we use another IBM service called AppID to authenticate against your um, organization directory. But since this uses Open Connect ID, um, Open ID Connect, um, you know you, you can switch to any other um, provider, whether that's Google or or or, or what have you. Yeah, um, but this is know, um, so the the beauty of MicroProfile is it already you know it we are mostly working against the uh, the API, and I took a look at the project, and this is just about the scripts. So the scripts, you know, set up the mm -hmm. whole environment and whether I am yeah. talking, you know, to DB2 or Oracle or Postgres or whatever cloud, uh, usually I, I don't care because I am using JPA, right? Yep, exactly. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so the, these services are currently, um, or the database services in particular, are currently um, basically hosted separately. So, mm -hmm. in other words, not in your Kubernetes close, uh, cluster, mm -hmm. um, but we are also looking into adding a Postgres into the cluster. Mm -hmm. If you want to move the application together with your data, exactly. okay, so mm -hmm. there's pros and cons, right? I mean, it's certainly more work for you as an operator or administrator, but there's advantages. You know, sometimes you need to do that because you cannot put, you're not allowed to put anything in a public cloud, certain data. Mm -hmm. So we're looking into the um, operators and there's one for Postgres um, that, that, that I would like to add to this example as well. Um, but then again, I don't also, I, I also don't want to make the, uh, the sample too complicated, right? So there's always a trade-off between, you know, how much features do you want to show and, and, you know, how, how complex, um, yeah. um, you know, will, will it be? But, but listeners, if they, they, they are interested, they just could, you know, contribute, uh, to whatever deployment, to whatever cloud they like, right? So if someone yeah, absolutely. has That'd interest, awesome. they, they can give you a pull request and just, why not? Mm -hmm. What I also like about your example is, you know, the setup scripts. Because the problem yeah. is not, you know, the microprofile is just trivial. You know, Jakarta, what I like about yeah. Jakarta in microprofile, you can focus on business and, and, and everything else is just yeah. hidden. So you don't care about that. So, but set up, you know, Kubernetes is a completely different, different beast. So the first question exactly. I have. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The first question I have is uh, the first best practice. So, um, how many namespaces or OpenShift, OpenShift projects do you have to set up? Well, for this one, since it's a rather simple application with only these three microservices, more or less, um, mm -hmm. we, we only put everything in one namespace. Very good. To keep it simple. So this is also what I do in my projects. So the first question is to know what is the relation between uh, Kubernetes namespace or OpenShift project and an app? Because uh, an application comprises multiple microservices. And for me, this is one-to-one -one relation. So what I would do is I would just, you know, put whatever you did, you know, this is one application, it's called, what is actually the name of the application? It's not, but because it's articles and authors, so the whole thing would be blog or or magazine or what 
is it actually? Yeah, well, right now we call the whole application cloud native startup. Yeah, but obviously that doesn't really make sense from a yeah. user experience standpoint. Well, for user experience, so, yeah, it would be more like a blog or something like this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. List of articles. So let's yeah, say yeah. that we have a blog which comprises uh, three microservices authentication, authors, and articles, right? There are the. Or no, web app, authors, web, 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 web app. app. So that's another one, web API, which implements a backend for frontend. So mm -hmm. that's the only one the web application talks to. Mm -hmm. And the web API then invokes articles and authors. Mm -hmm. And I added this other service, this web API service, so that I can also see, uh, demonstrate how to invoke from Java other um, REST APIs using the MicroProfile micro REST client. Mm -hmm. And I also wanted to have a service with two different versions to demonstrate traffic management with Istio. Okay, so that's why we added that one. So we have uh, backend from frontend. What it basically means, there is a service which exposes a convenient API to the web client, yeah. and uh, and the benefit is articles and authors could expose, uh, I would say, business business interfaces how it should be from the REST perspective, which is not always convenient for for the frontend. So the yes. web API is the, like the first facet, and it communicates with the microservice yep. in the in the background. Exactly. Exactly. So and everything lives in one namespace. So it means in in uh, in practice, I would get three such environments. So I would dev, yeah, block dev, block int, and mm -hmm. block yeah. prod. So um and 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 probably, you know, the 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 the, the dev and int would live in one cluster, and the production would be complete completely isolated. This would be. The real world yeah, scenario. That, that mm -hmm. sounds good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, okay. And uh, if we just, you know, go through the user click to the backend. So um, you use the Vue.js um, front end framework. The question is why? Yeah. Well, because I'm a big fan of it. Oh, really? I uh, Yeah. I, um, I, I used to do a lot with um, Angular like two or three years ago, which is not bad either. Um, but you know, <laughs> I, I wanted to learn something new. So whenever I do these, you know, new samples or so, I try not all only to pick the things that I'm most convenient with, um, mm -hmm. but you know, try to pick new things so that I can learn at the same time. Mm -hmm. And and Web you, um, uh, um, Vue JS I really like um, mm -hmm. because it's so easy to use. The documentation is really good. Um, to me, it feels like it, it combines the, the the best from Angular and React. So that's why I picked it. I mean, yeah. it doesn't really do much, right? No. So, but I, it's uh, so kudos to you. So you didn't 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 uh, wanted to use uh, Angular. So if you would use Angular, I would say we will have to wait half an hour until everything installs on OpenShift. So um, yeah, <laughs> but well, um, they, they have added some optimizations, right? To be fair, they they have there's some new Webpack um, build tools so that you yeah. can um, you know bundle your your source code together and don't have you know the this huge amount of files and stuff. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of a lot of improvements going on there as well. Okay, but uh, what's What's the future? And what I'm doing is I just use web components. No, yeah, I, I saw one of yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. and uh, and uh, I would have to say this right now because I get asked about my opinion about Vue.js. Vue.js is very reasonable, but if you go to GitHub and 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 and, and try to look at the you know contributors, you will find that it's actually everything is implemented by one guy. And yeah, this, I know. <laughs> and this is a risk for a scary. For a larger, yeah, for a larger company, is a huge risk. And if I show this page, um, no one would like to use Vue.js in larger projects. So this is the only oh. issue I have. And all other frameworks, this is yeah. well distributed. If you look at React or Angular, you know at least there are more developers working on it. But this guy comes from China, New Jersey in China, which is interesting. Um, 
and uh, uh, yeah, this is this is the yeah, only. Yeah, no, problem. I, I understand. I understand your point, but I mean, at least so far, it has worked pretty well. Uh, no, Vue is very it, good, and this is actually for this application doesn't matter. I just wanted. Yeah. yeah. You know, what was your no, choice? I, and and yeah, Vue is a really point. nice. Uh, so go for it. Yeah. And uh, again, yeah. if someone has time, or I I find some time, we could you know contribute a web component from that to to the same. So it's actually. No problem yeah. at all. So the the reason why I used Vue and and what I also like about Angular and React, right, is is this um, Redux mechanism, um, the mm -hmm. the the way to basically have the one, I mean, in, in really Citizen simple terms, store. right? You have the, the the one kind of global variable yeah. with all your data, yeah. and and that's pretty cool for um, one page apps or single page yeah. apps, right? Because you know you you, you want to notify another component on another page you put it in the store you, you get an event and you can do something with it right and that is very powerful that is something where i had really bad experiences with angular like a couple of years ago before um you know they added redux because there were always problems with um component updates right mm -hmm. and and that's and that's something that i didn't want to implement myself um yeah. but you can use redux right away so there's just one javascript uh, file so you can just yeah the, the, yeah mm -hmm. multiple versions yeah it's but but i think that was the main reason why okay you know because i'm using so, redux with web components right now and this is a uh, very easy npm i okay uh, redux so you have it and you can just use it so it's not not a big deal. okay cool so now so we have view application and this uh, goes through ingress so ingress is like OpenShift route would be i would say it's the same as in OpenShift. in in the ingress controller is the kubernetes term right no, yes. So it's it's kind of irritating because, as you said, there are so many different um, components and, and terms here. This this ingress controller is actually the Istio ingress controller, okay. not the Kubernetes, not the Kubernetes is, uh, ingress controller, because we are using Istio here, as I said okay. um, briefly, um, for for things like traffic management. We we need to use the Istis, uh, Istio ingress controller. Okay. So okay, the so view talks uh, uh, via Istio, and Istio would also provide uh, SSL termination and uh, whatever would be necessary in production. <laughs> Well, okay. actually, not not in this example, but no, yes, but, that's yeah, exactly yeah. yes. Okay, yeah. and so then the ingress controller is set up to talk to the APIs to do to do the authentication. What's what's the role of the Istio ingress controller in your application? Yeah, it's it's basically the the entry point, right, in, into the, the whole application, and and we use it primarily to um, to do the the traffic routing thing between mm -hmm. the two different versions of of web API. Mm -hmm. And also, you you need to open up the ports so that you can access, for example, here the authentication service, and so that you can get the um, the Vue application from the mm -hmm. backend. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that, that's basically, I mean, a very simple way just just to open up certain ports so that you don't expose everything. How you route between different versions? So what is does Istio look in the headers, or what's what's the idea there? Yeah, so that's that's really very simple with with Istio. Like you have YAML file, like for everything in Istio and Kubernetes, mm -hmm. um, and essentially you define on on top of these services that you define in Kubernetes YAML files, you define these virtual services. Mm -hmm. Okay, basically an abstraction, and then you can define this uh, traffic routing, um, and you you can say you know route to this virtual service or this and or this specific version of a virtual service. And you know you can do many different things. Like in, in this example, we we kept it very simple. We do an 80-20% um, traffic splitting, mm -hmm. um, just you know randomly, the, mm -hmm. no, no further logic uh, there. Um, but but you can also access the headers as you said, right? You, you can 
um, I mean, basically do everything you want. You can do A-B testing, you know, to say only for mobile devices, this version, only for desktop, this, canary rollouts, you know, all of these things. Yeah, and, uh, and you will find the uh, YAML is an Istio package, and uh, the yes. name is Istio Ingress Service Web 8020 YAML. I'm just looking at this right now, and uh, the configuration is pretty simple. You have route, destination, and there you have weight 80 or weight 20, to, to different mm -hmm. uh, subsets, subset V1 and subset V2. So this would be, okay. Yep. So in this particular case, if I would run it on OpenShift, there will be no explicit route. So the ingress would would expose the DNS name, right? Actually, that's a, uh, <laughs> that's a good question. No, we do have to use the, the OpenShift routes. So so what you did, yeah. you replaced the HR proxy from OpenShift with ingress, uh, with Istio... Uh, how to call it? What was it? Service. On the... to to be fair, uh, um, I, I think I'm, I'm pretty sure that that we don't have the Istio yet on OpenShift. Okay. So the the traffic management we only do on Kubernetes and, ah, and, okay. and uh, Mini okay. Minikube. Um, and and the reason was because we were hoping to get the um, the Istio version that comes with 4.2 out of the box so that we wouldn't have to tell people how to install it manually. No, it's a very good idea. But so. uh, what, how it would work technically on OpenShift 3.11, you will have to replace the HA proxy. How, what is it? Not the load balancer. It's actually the controller. I think this is a OpenShift term. But it's the, actually the load balancer. You can do it right right away with Nginx on whatever and you, will have, you would have to replace it with Istio. Okay, but... Uh, Mm -hmm. Fair point. So this is a Kubernetes. So there's an Istio and the Istio routes then to the backend for frontend. Uh, exactly. Yep. A Web API v1 or Web API v2. Yes, exactly. How it is written? Is it uh, uh, still service gateway or is it a Java project? What is it? This Web API. The, the web, web API is also using um, um, MicroProfile, mm -hmm. uh, Java MicroProfile, and mm -hmm. yeah, it's it's just a simple JAXRS, um, you know, with a open um, API documentation. So I mean, it's kind of the boring stuff really and then the the more exciting thing is how to invoke now the articles and office service and that's where we use microprofile rest client right mm -hmm. um and, and i really like that because as a you know former javascript or javascript developer you know I, I want that easy experience right i want to be able to invoke something as easily as possible i don't want to worry about serialization deserialization and you can do these things very easily with the um, microprofile rest client so yeah, it's 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 really easy now to do for Java developers as well. And what is the com IBM web API business dot service which is injected? Is this part of what? It's a couple of months ago, but I think I tried to do something like a clean architecture approach where okay. I have three um, layers um, of, of logic. You know, one is just the the rest part. Okay, mm -hmm. then then two is the the actual service, the business logic, mm -hmm. and three is the persistence. Okay. Right. So I think I used the injection just to pass, you know, one yeah. layer to the other. Yeah, so. exactly. This is what I saw, and uh, I didn't got it immediately. So what I do, uh, the boundary control entity, which is an ancient uh, pattern, but works well. The boundary is the our resources and facades. Control is would be your service, and the data are the entities. This is how I structure larger applications, mm -hmm. and it works well. And uh, I'm an external consultant, and the cool story is I can always refer to the names where you can even draw the icons. Boundary control mm -hmm. entity. So I don't have to discuss, you know, a lot about the naming. Yeah. So this is my my hack to uh, to fight the Parkinson's law of triviality. <laughs> okay, um, nice. So um, so the, so we have a um, backend for frontend. This is called Web API. Name of the project is Web API Java JE, 
Um, and I just took a look at the code, and this is what does the translation. And means it um, in 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 ideal world, this thing would expose uh, a convenient API to to the Vue.js or to the web components, yeah. and it will communicate with articles and authors. So conceptually, it's a yeah. facade, right? Yep, correct. Yeah. So and uh, and then we have two business microservices: is articles and authors. So we have uh, yeah. micro profile, very, very simple, lean. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. They are not really doing much, right? They are really, really simple. So you have two versions of those. Um, mm -hmm. you, you can use these services um, with an in-memory data store, right? Mm -hmm. Which is the easiest way to get started because you know you don't have any dependencies to databases. Mm -hmm. And then for the articles one, the Java implementation, you can connect to an SQL database using JPA. Mm -hmm. And for authors, which um, has been implemented with Node.js, you can connect to um, one of the NoSQL databases that we have in the cloud, which is called Cloudant, um, mm -hmm. a commercial version of Apache CouchDB. Ah, okay. So uh, th this is the full circle to, to the, the Lotus Nodes. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, <laughs> what we talked about earlier, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, okay. So the uh, and which API are you using to talk to the Cloudant? Is this like you are using Node.js Couch the, the, API? No, they they have lots of different um, um, APIs for different programming languages. We use here the. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's it's the Cloudant data okay. uh, Cloudant API. It's it's kind of similar to the CouchDB API, but I think there are some minor differences. And I think it was along how efficiently you can query certain things where one is better than the other. But but to be honest, I don't remember the details. Okay. But the articles talks via JPA to the yes. DB2 running in the cloud as well. Yep, exactly. So IBM has an offer in running DB2 as a service? Yes, and, and there's also Postgres SQL if you want. It's another commercial offering. Hey, cool. And so you can just use JDBC drivers, so there's nothing special with it. So you can just you know order yep. an instance and it oh, cool, runs in the cloud. Nice. Yep. The only strange thing you have, you have OpenID, AppID. I assume it does you know the authentication and authorization. But we right. have one microservice called authentication, and this is a node service. So what is the purpose of the node authentication service? Yeah, so th this this part, um, you know, I, I would hope that I can change that to something similar. Um, so to give you some background, well, when I started, I was assuming that when you use Kubernetes, that there is an easy way to do authentication. Like, mm -hmm. you know, you, you especially for enterprise applications, right? The first thing you you need, in most cases anyway, is the ability to log in for a user. Mm -hmm. Right, and then for enterprise applications, you want to be able to access your existing enterprise organization directory. Okay, mm -hmm. so I was I was expecting or I was hoping that Kubernetes would provide a service that would allow me to to do this OAuth dance, you know, to got to get mm -hmm. the JWT token and everything. Mm -hmm. And it turns out it it's not there. Right, mm -hmm. so I was hoping to to find that in Istio, it's not there either. Mm -hmm. Yet there's hope that something will be added to Istio. And there's actually another IBM open source project who does it, which didn't exist at the time when I implemented this. So what I ended up doing was just to write my own little authentication service. And it's really just, I don't know, a couple of handful of lines of code. It's, it's, it's pretty trivial because I use an existing NPM module to do this whole dance thing, you okay. know, the flow, and I can connect the, the to open, any open, open ID flow, you mean? So, you know, yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, open ID, um, connect, right, is an extension of mm -hmm. OAuth. Mm -hmm. OAuth exactly. authorization, OpenID Connect, um, identification. Um, yeah, so so exactly. That's that's what I use it for. And, and the um, OpenID on AppID is the um, IBM offering, which is not able to provide you tokens. It just understands the OpenID Connect flow, right? 
Yes, and so FID is or IBM FID is is our offering, right? To connect to enterprise directories or to social providers. It's it's basically some sort of you know federation if you want. It's, it's very easy to use and it provides or it supports OpenID Connect. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's why you can also use any other OpenID Connect provider. So I in this authentication service, I didn't put any code in there that is specific for the IBM um, FID service. Mm-hmm. That's why I said you know you you can use Google or your own you know, service um, to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. And again, I really hope that this this whole, you know, authentication capability uh, will be added to Istio uh, at some point because it, it doesn't make sense that, that developers, that you have to implement these things, you know, over and over again for every application. That that really should be part of the platform. There's no reason why it's not at this point, I think. In some projects, we are using Keycloak and it works really well. Yeah. Keycloak. Yeah, yeah. you mentioned that. I, I looked into it briefly. That that looks, in, in fact, promising. But it, it, as always, right, it would be great to, to minimize dependencies. So if this, this would come out of the box with um, Kubernetes, so it would even be better. What uh, Keycloak, yeah. yeah, yeah, you're right. But what Keycloak, uh, why Keycloak is used is uh, in, in my projects, especially startups like it, is because you can manage the users. So you have, you know, nice user management where you can specify how long is the password or whatever. And this is the, this mm-hmm. is the job of the Keycloak. And then it just emits JSON web tokens. And also, cool story, Keycloak comes with in gateway written in Go, I think, where they, they, they do the flow automatically. So there's like, you know, the uh, okay. Go library, which communicates with the Keycloak backend. So it could be interesting. Okay, mm-hmm. and and can you can you use it also to access your existing enterprise yes. directory? Yes. So okay. what you can do is Keycloak. Uh, it comes uh, default is like it uses internal Hibernate to access, I think H2 or something, but you can set up, you know, that uh, Keycloak uses LDAP or whatever you like. So it's just, um, it used in it is actually used in lots of enterprise projects. Okay. Yeah. No. And, that, that because that's my, that was my key requirement, yeah. right? I mm-hmm. wanted to be able to use XAML, etc., right? To to mm-hmm. reuse my existing login dialog, right? No need to implement yet another mm-hmm. login page. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So it sounds like kind of similar to FID then in that case. Yeah. And and you mentioned there is an open source project from IBM which does the authentication. What's the name of the project? Yeah, yeah, I, it's still on my list to look into it a little bit closer, but I, it's, it's part of, it, it has been open sourced by our IBM FID team because cool. it, it looks like they, they found that same um, requirement. And it's right now a standalone open source project. I don't know the exact name, but if you search for FID, IBM FID and then authentication, I guess, or something. Okay. Uh, you should be able to find it. I mean, we yeah. can put it in the show, na- show notes if you want. Um, so this was the walkthrough if- through the businesses, but we are not done because what you also have, it is uh, monitoring, right? And uh, what I found is Prometheus re- references. Yeah, and yeah, observability in general, right? Yes. And 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 containers and stuff. Yeah. So yeah, well, first of all, containers obviously is the first thing so, you need, right? So we wait the, a second. Yeah. What's the difference between monitoring and observability? Well, yeah, good good question. I mean, I I would consider observability to be a superset of monitoring with yeah. um, exactly. tracing and everything, mm-hmm. but but I don't know. It's probably pretty much the same thing. Yeah, okay. you're right. So and uh, um, and uh, Prometheus is uh, also there. So uh, is Prometheus installed by a script or is or use? You yeah, that that comes. Yes, that comes with um, Istio, right? It's it's one of the tools that comes with Istio. So when you install Istio and we have the scripts to do that, then um, that then you get Prometheus out of the box. The only thing you need to do there is to to change the configuration. And I think I saw that in one of your podcasts or, or videos. Um, that, that this is always the, the one thing you have to do manually, right? So to change the configuration to point to your to your endpoints. Yes. Um, uh, what I what I did, I usually using Prometheus on OpenShift. 
but it, we should work with Kubernetes the same. And what uh, what uh, Prometheus does is it uh, searches for labels inside the services, and then you mm -hmm. don't have to do this. So it will learn okay. from the services what the IP addresses are, and then okay. it accesses the IP addresses. This is the st standard uh, Kubernetes way, but I only tested this on OpenShift, so it works on my project already, so it configures itself by labels. Okay. Yeah, that sounds cool. Yeah, this is how how uh, this is how Prometheus works, and also something like Jaeger tracing also configures itself. So it's like common common theme in Kubernetes, just searching mm -hmm. for labels, and and this is the discovery process. I was always curious to know what the discovery actually means and what are you doing. They are they are they are searching for key value pairs actually behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. okay, yeah, cool. and as I said, Jaeger is part of Istio as well, and mm -hmm. that's what we use for for tracing. Yeah, right. It comes but out of the box. Yeah. What What do you mean on OpenShift? You don't have Prometheus and we don't have Jaeger, right? So, so what are you talking about? You You providing in Kubernetes the full experience, and then MiniShift or OpenShift, you don't have Prometheus. In your... Exactly. It's, yeah, as I said, we're still waiting basically for the for two. I mean, we're not waiting because it's there, but we we, we it's on, no, on no. our list here mm -hmm. too. There's yeah. actually no difference. So I installed you know Prometheus and and Jaeger on OpenShift, and it it worked like on plain Kubernetes, on no difference at all. Exactly. Exact uh, ingress. Uh, ingress. I mean, Istio is a little bit different because it comes with lots of stuff already. So, mm -hmm. um, do you have business metrics or only you know technical metrics? Yeah, we we, we have also um, application specific metrics in, mm -hmm. in one of the services. I think in Web API, um, you know, just to show that in, in some cases, you know, you have to put something in your code, right? Mm -hmm. I mean. There is some overlap, um, as, as we talked about earlier, between MicroProfile and Istio functionality. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, I think it, it's it's good to do as much as possible in platforms via Kubernetes and Istio functionality because it's generic and you don't have to implement it yourself. It works for different programming languages. But then there are these application-specific features like, you know, application-specific authorization or, in this case, metrics, right? So here I added the or used the microprofile or some of the microprofile um, new annotations mm -hmm. um, to, to, to see these metrics there as well. So not only the generic ones, but also application-specific. I would say you always have to do uh, application-specific metrics uh, because mm -hmm. uh, you cannot do this with Istio. I'll give you an example. For instance, um, in the recent project, we use uh, messaging, and I think even GMS. And uh, mm. Kafka would be the same problem. But uh, if you have messaging, what can happen is some, someone sends you a message with uh, wrong type. So uh, mm -hmm. what we did, we exposed from the beginning, you know, metric how, how many messages arrived with the, you know, success, with, with we consider a success and how many were poisoned or had the wrong type. Mm -hmm. And this you cannot just do with Istio because uh, you yeah, cannot yeah, do yeah. with. I with, agree. And I mean, what Istio for me is is like the interceptor or you know decorator pattern. So you can do a lot with that, but you cannot you know look inside the application and yeah, yeah ex exactly. This is this is this this is a difference. And what I what is really dangerous in my projects, what developers would would like to have, they just put annotations on everything and hope they know that because of magical thinking or whatever afterwards someone will find out in dashboard what's wrong went wrong with the app so i would say we should emphasize more the business metrics as well not only mm -hmm. you know, the um, metrics from 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 the outside so we had that problem yeah. before istio with dynatrace you know some companies you know believe that you can monitor everything with dynatrace which you can do a lot but you cannot you know just monitor the core business logic because it's just yeah. algorithm yeah. Mm -hmm. Exactly. That's a really good um, reason to use MicroProfile here because it's so easy to do so. Exactly. So uh, so we have Prometheus built in with technical and business metrics, and you also have, 
other tools, for instance, SysDick. So this SysDick, what's there? Why we need it? Yeah, um, well, yeah, so we have two others, SysDick and uh, LockDNA. Those are mm -hmm. um, third-party services. They are not IBM services. And again, um, they are optional only. You don't have to use them. Um, but LockDNA is, is, is the first thing that, that makes a lot of sense because when you have multiple services, as you know, it's, it's difficult to find your logs, right? It, there's not the one log file anymore. But LockDNA is basically that distributed logging, right? So you just install, um, you know, a little, um, I, th I think, what is it? It's a pod or something in, in your cluster. And then you, you get the logs, um, in a displayed in a really nice, um, dashboard where you can filter and see everything as if it would be one log file. Mm -hmm. So that's what, 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 uh, what we use LockDNA for in Sysdic is basically for monitoring mm -hmm. and, um, you know, to, to, to see all, all, all types of monitoring, um, actually including even the, the metrics for, um, that, that we just talked about. You, you can display there as well. We don't have an example for that, but, um, I, I've read another article. It would be another good blog to to show how to actually see your microprofile um, metrics in Cystic as well. How you log in, a, in your application? Um, uh, just just standard, I think. Uh, actually, I, I, I found I some system, system out print lines. So I just wanted to see whether this is. Yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, I, I think we haven't really done much there. We haven't really used a, a real logger. It's just a system out at this point, I think. Yeah, this is what I usually also do. But what I do is I hide the system out print line behind this interface or class, which is going to be injected, so I can replace it later. But um, mm -hmm. the interesting is why why I'm asking you this. In my opinion, if you're running on a Kubernetes-like environment, you don't need a logging framework. You can just, you know, log to system out because all the logs are going to be gathered by OpenShift Kubernetes or whatever infrastructure you have afterwards. So, and, and you probably don't have, you know, the reason to switch, you know, log levels on your microservice. It would be not uh, considered as a. Yeah, but, but the hard part is to find the, the, the right log file, right? Because yeah. by, by default, you need to, to say, uh, yeah, pod, get pods, and then you need the, the pod name to, to, to get the logs. Mm hmm. Uh, it's not that true. I mean, there are some tools, you know, that, that make this much easier. In fact, just today, I read a blog article announcement from IBM that, that we open source. So KubeCon is going on right now, right? And, mm -hmm. uh, we, we use that to do some announcements and one was to open, to open source some other new Kubernetes tools. And I haven't really looked into it much because I only, you know, read about it today, but it sounds like it's a tool that allows you to easier navigate to, through all of these, you know, Kubernetes objects. And the little demo that I saw this morning, just a 25 seconds video or something on their website is you can got, get all the, the, lo, the, the, the different parts, you, you know, in a graphical UI, essentially you click on them and you see the, 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 the logs right there, very fast, very convenient mm -hmm. to access, mm -hmm. uh, certainly much faster than using a CLI. But I think on standard OpenShift, there's already Elk installed, so you can just gather the logs automatically. So they are going, okay. uh, the only thing you have to do is to output the log files in a JSON-like format. Um, which some application servers are doing out of the box, but if you're something like, let's say, Quarkus, so there is no default log, so you will have to do it mm -hmm. sometime by yourself because Quarkus does is not a server. So if, there, if mm -hmm. you don't write a log, there will be no log. Um, um, yeah, this is but interesting. So this is what I so Sysdic is what what Sysdic does. It just gathers the the logs. Or what, how you use? No, them. no. Th th this was locked DNA, all, all kind of, of metrics. And to be honest, I'm not really an expert in Cystic, so I, I don't know too much about it. Okay. Um, I, I basically only know that you know the, the metrics um, that you can display. Uh, for example, in um, 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 Prometheus, etc. You you can also use in Cystic. They also have some nice dashboards. But mm -hmm. again, I'm not really an expert there. Mm -hmm. And um, you're also using Kayali, right? So it's... yes, 
Yeah, that, again, that also comes with um, with Istio, and, mm-hmm. and this is really awesome. You know, if you want to see how your traffic uh, is routed, mm-hmm. like you know, you have real time live, um, you know, um, emulations, or not only emulations, but the real traffic, right? You can see flowing in the UI graphically. Um, like especially for this traffic management, you know, mm-hmm. we have these two versions here, as we said, um, Web API version one and two. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you change between those, you can see directly um, in that graphical tool. Um, you know, how much traffic goes where, are there problems, routing issues, and so forth. So I really like that tool. It's it's a really good way to to really find out, you know, what service is invoking which other service in your, you know, basically in your service mesh. Mm-hmm. So uh, on the everything is, I would say, beautifully documented. So there are lots of resources around the project. So mm-hmm. uh, I think you spend more time documenting than actually writing the code. Is it correct? Up. That is absolutely correct. And um, <laughs> when you look at the top, right, uh, from the GitHub project, and, yeah. and you click on this uh, this bar with the colors, right, you can see how mm-hmm. many programming languages we used mm-hmm. to do what. And uh, I'm looking at it right now. So we actually 30% of, of what you find in the repo is Java code, mm-hmm. but but almost 60% are scripts. Mm-hmm. So so the actual Java code is not much because it's pretty easy, mm-hmm. you know, but you need to understand the concepts and how everything, you know, fits together mm-hmm. and when to use what and so forth. And you wrote this with Harald Übele and Harald Übele and, and Thomas Südbrücker, right. And they are also we, we microprofile wrote. hackers or what's, what's they, they wrote? Let, let's, let's put it this way until, and I think it's fair to say that until the end of, uh, beginning of this year, they hadn't done much with Java, but, but by now they are pretty good in microprofile as well. And they like it or they are cursing, yeah. you know, stupid Java or whatever. So what was the, the no, no. honest, honest feedback from no, non-Java programmers first touch with microprofile? I don't want to put words in their mouths, but uh, <laughs> I think it was, was was rather positive. Let's put it this way. I, okay. Um, because it's pretty easy, right? It's yeah. And obviously, it's it's good that there's so much innovation going on in that space, and and you know that that these core tools for microservices are added, um, mm-hmm. you know, and and so fast. So what is the so, what is the feedback from the audience? So if you present, you know the. The application. So, do the you presented several times, right? On the... yes, absolutely. No, it's it's awesome. I mean, I've I've received really good evaluations, maybe even better than any other sessions that I did earlier about other technologies. So, yeah, it's well received. Um, I mean, as you know, it's always hard, right, to find the right balance. Sometimes you have the absolute beginners. Um, sometimes you have people who have even more knowledge than you. Um, but yeah, no, I I think you know, the way we position this, right, is that it's a really easy way to get started. So this is this doesn't show everything that you need to do to build, you know, really complex and sophisticated cloud native apps, but it, it shows you pretty much everything that you need to get started. So so that that's kind of the audience that we are trying to address here, right? Which are Java developers, um, which might not have done anything with MicroProfile yet. Okay. And and Developers who who haven't really used Kubernetes and Istio a lot. That's why we implemented all these different scripts. So that that's really the key audience, and and these people really like it. So what it, to summarize our talk is uh, to become famous, you really have to focus on micro profile in Jakarta E and everything else. You know, just just as happens, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, it's amazing what's going on this year with Jakarta E and, and micro profile. So I'm I'm really glad that so much stuff is going on again. 
What uh, yeah, and and what really amazes me how popular the thing actually is. So I delivered a, a talk at the WJX and I expected to know not that interest because the common perception was like Jakarta E is slow or whatever, and 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 the, the room was full. So uh, it was uh, there was uh, actually too small, and this was already you know a larger yeah. room, and the same experience on on various other conferences. So really, Jakarta E and yeah. the micro profile, the the interest is actually are far better than expected. Absolutely. Yeah. So we gave this talk a half an hour version of this talk, um, Harald and I, mm -hmm. um, in, in Berlin at the We Are Developers Conference. Mm -hmm. And we had a uh, 1,500 people. Wow. <laughs> um, listen, so that what, was, that was amazing. Which conference is it? I never heard about it. We Are Developers. What is it? We about? Are Developers is, is rather new. Last year it occurred in, um, in, in Vienna. And mm -hmm. I think it was only the third or maybe fourth time. And then this year for the first time in, in Germany. Mm -hmm. They say they have 10,000 attendees. Um, well, that's, I think, one of the numbers I read. Um, and yeah, it's, it's really big. Um, it's, it's an interesting conference. Um, and yeah, we, we had the big room, the, the keynote stage. So that's why probably we had so many people there. It was pretty cool. And the feedback was still good? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, sometimes when you do these really big ones, sometimes you get less feedback than you do the smaller ones. Like mm -hmm. I, I did the same um, um, talk, you know, a very similar one recently at um, CoTalks in Hamburg. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and you know, three people came to me um, after the session. Um, they didn't have any questions or anything. They just wanted to thank me. And as you know, as a speaker, you know, this is the best thing that can happen, right? If, yeah. if, if people appreciate, um, you know, your talk, your work, um, I always love to hear that. Yeah, perfect. So now, thank you a lot. So we went through the whole example. I hope we didn't forget anything important. So, right? No, I think we pretty much covered everything. Oh, well, actually, maybe one thing. Um, so we didn't talk much about containers. So what I use here for the application server is primarily Open Liberty. Mm -hmm. Okay, but then I also added, at least for one of the services, I think it was articles, I, I started to add Quarkus. Mm -hmm. Okay, and, and that's really technology that I've looked into recently and I want to learn much more about because it's it's an awesome technology, especially here for the um, container workloads. I mean, Open Liberty is pretty good as well because it uses OpenJ9 under the cover, mm -hmm. the um, open source IBM JVM, mm -hmm. and that one had been designed to run on really small devices, right? Mm -hmm. um, Nokia handhelds, etc. Mm -hmm. And that's why it uses, I think, 50% less memory than Hotspot and startup times 50% faster than Hotspot, something like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's what we use here by default. But again, at least for the article service, there's also a Quarkus implementation. And even though Quarkus is not a Jakarta EE um, application server, I don't think I had to, to change any code yeah, exactly. other than the POM file, exactly. um, as far as I remember. So that was pretty cool. So what I like about Quarkus is because they, um, this is a true innovation because, I mean, uh, back then, you know, servers were a little bit rewritten to be a little bit smaller. But uh, what, what Quarkus recognizes, let's do deployment at build time and let's optimize yep. as, as, as much as possible at build time yep. and be less dynamic at runtime because at runtime, we don't have to be that dynamic in the clouds. And this is yeah. true innovation, and they do it consequently, and they and the results are staggering. So they are very small, very fast startups, startup times, and yeah. it's the same programming model. So I don't care whether it is you know completely Jakarta certified or not. Um, the the only question is how much if my clients have prob problems with memory, how how long does it take to migrate a Java or Jakarta project to Quarkus? And so far, mm -hmm. uh, it was actually fairly. A fairly straightforward straightforward process to doing this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, perfect. Cool.
So thank you. Where people yeah. can find you again? And uh, I, w I can I have the audio right now. So I can tell this is github.com IBM slash cloud dash native dash starter. This is the URI too. I will also put it to the show notes. And where people can f find you? Do you have Twitter, GitHub account? Yeah, the, the easiest thing is probably to find me on, on Twitter. My mm -hmm. direct messages are open and um, the, the account name is N Heidloff and for my first name, mm -hmm. Nicholas, and then my last name, Heidloff. Mm -hmm. I also have a blog at um, heidloff.net. Hey, cool. So thank you. And uh, yeah. Here again in future. Adam, thanks a lot for having me. It was Bye. great. A lot of fun. Bye.